Oh, man. Welcome, everybody, to the conclusion of our Come On Man series. Welcome, Gateway Campus. Welcome, Plantation, all of our services, everyone watching online. Welcome. This is the conclusion to our Come On Man series. But before we get into all of that, let me say a couple of things. First, uh, let me say thank you. Uh, since the last time I was able to be with all of you, I have celebrated my 40th birthday. And I just want to say thank you to so many of you, so many of you who wrote cards and, and notes and gifts and Skittles and Skittles and more and more Skittles than any man who's addicted to sugar like me should ever have in his lifetime. Thank you. So I have a decade's worth of Skittles now, which is amazing. So thank you. Uh, my wife and I are just so honored and man, we just were, were able to celebrate uh, my 40th birthday in, in grand style and you guys made all of that happen. So thank you so much for that. Also want to give you uh, a quick update uh, about one of our pastors, Pastor Mike Lowry, who is our pastoral care pastor here at Next Level Church, uh, lost his battle with cancer on Saturday of this weekend. And uh, so um, we are, are saddened by that. Obviously, our, our hearts are heavy this weekend for he, uh, for not for him, but for Betty, his wife, and Becca, his daughter, and their family uh, as they mourn the loss of, of Pastor Mike. But let me just tell you guys this. Uh, the Bible says that we don't mourn uh, as as those who don't know Christ mourn, that we have a hope. We have a hope. And I was able to spend two hours with Pastor Mike uh, and Betty and Becca last Sunday night at their home. And um, Mike was ready. He was ready to go be with Jesus. And so this weekend, he worships with us from the throne. He's got a better seat than we do. So uh, let me say this, because last Sunday night, one of the things that Pastor Mike Lowry shared with me is he said, he thanked me, and he said, Matt, will you make sure you thank Next Level Church? Because Next Level Church allowed my family and I to finish our race well. That's what we are, you guys. He said, up until Next Level Church, we did not know that a community of, of believers could look like this. But we gave him the ability to do that. And so I want to say to all of you, thank you. Thank you for creating a place that Pastor Mike Lowry loved to serve so that he could experience a loving God. Thank you, Next Level Church. He's in a better place. Well, this is part five, our conclusion of our Come On Man series. And through these uh, weeks of the Come On Man series, we've been hitting men hard. So women, I hope you have enjoyed this series as much as my wife has, because she's been loving this series. This has been a series where we have been looking straight into the face of the men around Next Level Church, around Southwest Florida, and saying, hey, come on, man, it's time for us to step up. And we've covered a lot of ground in this series. We've talked about our foundation. And, and how we've got to make sure that our foundation is solid. We've talked about our thought life and purity in our thought life. Then in part three, I talked about five lessons I've learned in my first 40 years. Last weekend on Father's Day, Pastor Kyle Jackson talked about seven statements that we men need to make sure that our kids understand, those of us who are fathers. And so we've tracked a lot of ground. But additionally, we've also, in the, in the weeks of this series, been talking about and confessing, all of us who have been speaking have been confessing, some come on man moments. And so uh, in keeping with the spirit of all of that, let me uh, just kind of go on record and tell you what one of my secret come on man moments looks like for this guy. Okay. Because here's the thing. I, I, I pride myself on being good at, at quite a few things, but if there's one thing in my life, true confession, men, that I stink at, 
and there's really no other way to say that than I actually, it's, it's, it's awful. I can't park a car. <laughs> no, it's true. Like, like small car, big car, medium sized car, SUV, sedan, bicycle. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Like, like I pull, like it is a standing joke in my family. And of course my 12 year old, my 14 year old now, they keep me honest on this. So it is now the running joke. Like there'll be four spaces wide open. And I'm like, and I have a pull it in straight direction on it. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I, and I start freaking myself out. I'm like, I don't think I can get in there. I'm thinking, in there, come on, man, you got this. The Lord's with you. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You're more than a conqueror. I'm preaching to myself. And I'm like, and I pull in and my kids and I get out to walk in the restaurant and they'll walk around the back of my car and they're like, seriously, dad? There's nobody around. You pick like three rows back. We have to walk uh, like a quarter mile to get into Chili's because you can't park a car in a space. So here's the running joke in my family. You know what they say to me now? It's okay, dad. You're good at a whole lot of other stuff. (laughs) What they're saying is, come on, man. That's my come on man right there. Well, in this, in this last installment of our come on man series, I want to talk about a guy in the Bible who was one of the leading influencers in the New Testament. When you think about the local church and the spread of Christianity after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, and, and then taken up into heaven in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God falls on people. There's this mighty move of God, and one of the, one of the, the most mightily used leaders in that entire movement that is established the local church that continues on some 2,000 years later that we are all a part of today, I want to talk about him because this is a guy who gives us one more come on man principle to challenge us, whether we're a man, a woman, young, old, whatever the case may be. This is, this is a principle that's found in the life of a guy named Barnabas. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone with a Bible app on it, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Because we're only going to look at two verses this weekend. Two verses, Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. But inside those two verses, give us a principle that is one of those, come on, man, step up your game, let's get serious about this principles that I believe is so important for us as Next Level Church and for us as the men, since we're talking to us men, the men of Next Level Church to understand. Acts chapter 4, starting at verses 36 and 37. These two verses, here's what it says. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. So his name was Joseph. The apostles called him Barnabas, though, which means, here's the parenthetical statement, son of encouragement. So here's this guy named Barnabas. Here's what it says he did. Look, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Inside this guy named Barnabas, inside this simple act, we find some powerful, powerful principles that we have to get inside of us as men. Now, who was Barnabas? Barnabas, this, here's what we need to know. This was the first introduction to this guy named Barnabas that we ever see. So Barnabas, again, is a leading character all through uh, the book of Acts in terms of establishing the local church. Well, this is the very first mention of him. Barnabas was the guy who found 
a man named Saul, who later became Paul, who we might know as the great apostle Paul, a man who was responsible for writing two-thirds of the entire New Testament of the Bible. Guess what? Barnabas found him. And when nobody else would talk to Paul, when nobody else would put their neck on the line for this guy named Paul, you know who did? Barnabas did. Barnabas stuck his neck out there. He put his, his own reputation on the line. He put his arm around Paul and said, Paul, let me show you the ropes. Let me show you how this is done. Now that you're a believer in Jesus, God's got a leadership gift on you, and I want to help you discover that and develop that. And he vouched for him. He took him under his wing. He ended up traveling with Paul. So, so the entire rest of the book of Acts talks about Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Well, Barnabas was the guy who was responsible for finding Paul. He goes on all these missionary church planting journeys with the apostle Paul. So, so much of what the early church became, became that because of a man named Barnabas. And this is the first instance where we actually are introduced to him. So, when you came into your service, whatever service you're at this weekend, you were handed a bulletin. Grab that. Because I, I want to point out real quick four things that I want you to notice about Barnabas from these two simple verses. Four things I want you to notice. Here's the first one. Number one, the first time that Barnabas is noted at all in Scripture is on account of his generosity. The first time that Barnabas is noted at all, mentioned at all in the Bible, it is because it is account of his generosity generosity put Barnabas on the map. Now, here's what you need to know. This was the, the early church in the book of Acts, in the last couple of weeks from this moment, had went from 120 people scared and fearful for their life in an upper room praying to 5,000 people plus. Okay, that's some crazy kind of church growth going on right there. And I'm just telling you, as a guy who oversees a church that grows pretty rapidly from time to time, that's crazy. There's a lot going on. Like you talk about crazy chaos, exciting things, people giving their lives to Jesus, amazing. Okay, there's, there's commotion going every direction. And then one afternoon or one morning, somebody knocks on the door. And the apostles are in there, and they're like, yeah, yeah, what's going on? And they said, well, okay, so there's some guy here. And he's, he's sold a field. And he wants to donate all of the money to the vision of God that's going on in this church. And the apostles are like, dude, come on, man. Send him in. And so Barnabas comes in and the Bible tells us that he takes all of the money from the sale of this field and he puts it at the apostles' feet. In other words, he donated it to the work of the Lord, to the vision, to the ministry that God had them. Generosity caused Barnabas to come on the radar of the apostles in the midst of 5,000 plus people going every which direction and chaos and messages and salvations and baptisms and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Barnabas was first noticed because of his generosity. Here's the second statement. Number two, generosity was seen as a huge encouragement. Generosity was, was huge in terms of encouragement. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. Generosity, encouragement, and encouragement always go hand in hand. Think about it, don't they? You never see one without the other. Generosity and encouragement always go hand in hand. Let me say it this way. The fastest way to encourage someone is to be generous to them. The fastest way to encourage somebody else is to be generous to them. 
Just try it. Next time you're at a coffee shop, buy the person's coffee in front of you or behind you. It won't take long before the entire store knows what happened. Not, not because you even make a big deal about it. Just because that's the nature of generosity. Generosity lifts the water level of whatever room it's happening in. Generosity and encouragement always go hand in hand. The week before Easter, maybe some of you know this, maybe some of you don't. The week before Easter of this year, we decided as a church to buy everyone's lunch for one hour at Chick-fil-A in Fort Myers. And can I tell you something? Within minutes, the entire city was buzzing about what was happening. There was a line out the door, cars out the door, and within minutes, TV stations, radio stations were calling us going, what's going on? Within minutes. You know why? Because generosity is contagious. Because generosity and encouragement always go hand in hand. Okay, this was such a big deal that they changed his name. Did you get, like, generosity was so in Barnabas that they changed his name. Did you catch it? The verse said his name was actually Joseph. But he was so generous. The spirit of generosity was so on him. The spirit of encouragement was so on him that they were like, oh, Joseph, no, 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 Joseph, no, no, not Joseph. You mean mean Barnabas, the son of encouragement? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. They were able to differ. I mean, how many guys were probably named Joseph back then? There's a lot of Josephs today. There's a whole bunch more Josephs back then, I'm sure. So you, they changed his name so that what they would call him reflected who he was. If important people changed our name, what would they change it to? I can tell you what my wife and kids would change my name to on vacation a couple weeks ago. For about the first 10 hours of walking around Washington, D.C., they would have changed my name to good leader, good dad, way to go. But I would hit a wall every day at about 3.30. And from 3.30 on, you know what my wife and kids would probably change my name to in D.C. a couple weeks ago? Complainer. <laughs> Whiner. Big wah wah whiner baby who doesn't want to walk around D.C. anymore. If they changed your name at the office, what would they change it to? If your wife and kids, come on, man. If your wife and kids changed your name to something, what would they change it to? What would the, the, your connection group leader change your name to? Because see, the apostles saw something on this guy named Joseph, this guy named Barnabas, and they said, man, <laughs> That is so in him. That spirit of generosity, that spirit of encouragement is so on him. We can't think of anything else other than encourager, son of encouragement to call this guy. Now, some of us might be called a son of something, but it probably isn't son of encouragement. (laughs) Think of it. The apostles of the early church changed a dude's name because he was so generous and was such an encouragement. That's awesome. Number three, generosity opened the door for Barnabas to greater influence and impact. You know what else Barnabas means? Son of thunder. 
son of thunder. He was a son of encouragement. He was, he was the son of thunder. In other words, a guy who is capable of making a, a big impact, a loud boom, and the ripple effects of that kept going on and on and on and on and on. The son of thunder, the son of encouragement. Barnabas was generous to such a degree that encouraged people so much that they actually changed his name to the son of encouragement, the son of thunder. His impact, his influence had a ripple effect 2,000 years later. Why? Because he had a spirit of generosity on him. Barnabas goes on to become one of the pillars of the first church that we still talk about and reference today because of his generosity. That's the power of a spirit of generosity. Number four, Barnabas' personal finances were in order so that he could be generous. Come on, man. Let me push on us a little bit here. This is the come on, man part of the message. Men, let me talk to us for a second. We've hit you hard from a few different angles throughout this series, but let me hit us, men, from one last one, and that is our personal finances. Men, we are called to lead when it comes to our personal finances in our home. And so, men, I'm calling us this weekend, no more excuses. I'm calling us, men, to take our head out of the sand and start to lift up our eyes and pay attention. No more excuse. Well, I don't understand all that. Well, it's too complicated for me. Well, it's too much work. Well, I'm exhausted. Well, she handles all that. Well, I don't understand. Well, I'm not good with numbers. Stop it. Come on, man. Come on. You know how Barnabas was able to sell a field and give the money to the vision of what God was doing in his city and in that church? Because his personal finances were in order. If his personal finances had been a wreck, he couldn't have been generous if he wanted to. The only way a spirit of generosity works is if first there's order in our house. And so I'm calling all men to step up and start leading in your home. Start setting the example for your family. Why? Because there is an opportunity for increased influence, for increased impact for you and your wife and your kids and for our church and for your ministry. God wants to do a work through you. And part of that, so much of the foundation of that, so much of the opening of the door for that is found in a spirit of generosity. But it can only happen if and when we get our financial house in order. So men, in the same way that we'll stand up here through the weeks of this series and challenge you to lead well and get your foundation in order and live pure in your thought lives and in, in your spiritual life, men, I'm challenging you this weekend to take the lead concerning your money. And I don't know you, and I don't know the specifics of your circumstances financially, but here's what I do know. I know that you want to be the kind of man who leads their family in a way that brings the full blessing of God on your wife and kids. And that means we've got to lead well in terms of our family's financial picture. And Barnabas gives us the example for that. Generosity opened the door for greater influence, for greater impact in his community and in his world. That's what opened the door. So men, let me say this. 
There are three things I believe that God wants us to know. God wants for us in terms of men, in terms of our finances, in terms of the spirit of generosity. Three things. Number one, God wants our financial house to be in order. Plain and simple, God wants our financial house to be in order. So men, I don't know what that looks like. And again, you don't have to be great at numbers. You don't have to, okay, you don't even have to do it necessarily. You just have to own it. You have to bear the weight of it. You have to carry the responsibility of that. Establish a budget. Get out of debt. Start paying attention financially. Live within your means. Men, don't make your wife be your financial babysitter. Some of us men, we are making excuses time and time. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. She'll tell me when I've spent too much. Come on, man. You didn't marry her so she could babysit you financially. Let's step up and lead. Why? Because God's got big things for you. We need you. He needs you. We got to get this right. I'll go this far. Men, I believe it is impossible for us to reach our financial dream. Whatever that is for you, whatever you dream of for your finances, for your future, for your retirement, whatever it is that you financially dream of for you and your spouse, your family, your nest egg, whatever, I believe it is impossible for you and your family to reach your financial dream that you believe and want in your life unless you and your spouse are on the same page and carrying it together. Here's why. Because financial discipline and success are too heavy of a weight to carry alone. And men, some of us have been standing around going, I don't know if she does that. I don't know if you carry one. I don't know, tell me when to stop. I don't know, woman, you figured it out. I don't know, okay. Come on, man. Come on. We'll never get where we want to go. We'll never get to that financial picture that we dream of until we're willing to get our hands dirty and get our financial house in order. Number two, God wants us to prioritize him first. Plain and simple, tithing opens the door. Giving God the first 10% opens the door to positioning our family for financial success long-term. We talk about this often here. Several times a year, we we reiterate this. We talk about this idea in Malachi chapter 3. Verses 9 and 10, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, you're under a curse. In other words, your family ain't going right. Your whole nation's under a curse because you are robbing me, God says. Bring the whole tithe, the first 10%, the first one out of 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the local church where you're being fed, that there may be food in my house. In other words, that my mission on the earth might be funded. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's the promise of God. And men, God promises us that when we will make him our financial partner and not just resist God and say, God, you know what? I'm good. I got it on my own. You know what, God? You stay over there. I'll stay over here. You know what, God? I work hard. This is my money. This is my stuff. I'm going to do it my way. Okay, as long as we're pushing God out, then he can't partner with us financially. But the Bible says the way we bring God in as our financial partner is by opening the door, by giving him, bringing him, returning to him the first 10%. And when we do that, return that to God, the Bible says he comes around on our side and he becomes our financial partner. And I don't know about you, but if there's a God, 
which I would believe the vast majority of us listening to this message right now would believe and say that there is, if there's a God, then I don't know about you, but I want that God on my side financially. Men, some of you, your wife has been wanting to tithe, wanting to get God involved in your family's financial picture, and you have been resisting her. Come on, man. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And I believe this weekend, God, right now, speaking to somebody, some man in your heart, because you've been saying, no, no, it's too much. Oh, we could never afford it. We couldn't. Okay. okay, God's got ways and means you know nothing about. And when we tithe, when we put him first, he comes around on our side and he goes, come on, let's go. Let's figure this thing out. Let's, let's get it rocking. Let's go. Tithing is how we open the door to positioning the full blessing of God on our families. We just believe that's true. And you can talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you who are part of Next Level, and you get this. You know what I'm saying is true because you've lived it. Some of you for months, some of you for years, some of you for decades. And God has come through and shown himself faithful every single time he's come through. He's come through. Number three. Three things God wants us to know as men. Number three, here it is. Ready? God wants us to be men who embody generosity as a lifestyle. Now, I, you'll notice there if you've got your fill-in-the-blank sheets that there's no number three. We did that on purpose. You know why? Because we men, we like to leave stuff empty, and we're like, man, I don't know. I don't know how it ends. I shut it off. No, I'm just kidding. We forgot that. That's our bad. So you want to write this. So leave that up on the screen. Leave it up on the screen right there so you can see it. Okay, ready? Number three, God wants us to be men. <laughs> Some of you, you ain't been paying attention to writing anything down until right there. You're like, oh, I better write that down. It's not even on the notes. Some of your guests in the blanks, it's the whole thing, right? <laughs> like it's, we didn't leave out a word or two. We left out like nine words. There you go. God wants us to be men who embody generosity as a lifestyle. It's 10, Pastor Matt. Got it. Thanks. Okay. Watch this. The tithe is not the end of generosity. Contrary to popular belief, the tithe, giving God the first 10%. Come on, man. Stay with me here. The tithe is not the end of generosity. It is actually the beginning of generosity. So men, watch this. God's desire for us and for our family financially is that you and I would live in such a way that there would be surplus financially so that we can be generous. And when a need arises, we can be generous. And when something comes up, a vision opportunity comes up inside of the local church, we can go, yes. And we can do more than just throw in a 20, so to speak. We can, we can, we can be generous. My man sold a field. There was surplus in Barnabas' family budget. And next level, let me say this. I'm, I'm picking up the notes because I'm going to read it. Because this is a word from the Lord for our church. Men, women, all of us. Okay, ready? Men and Next Level Church, I believe God has promotions and raises and bonuses and increase that he wants to put in our hands. He's just waiting on us to get our house in order and make a determination that we are more concerned with what flows through us than to us. He's waiting on us. 
I believe that. When I typed that in my notes a few weeks ago when I was writing this message, I just stopped. And I just started praying for us. Because there are some incredible opportunities that God is getting our church ready for. And I believe he's going to raise us up, Next Level Church, as an army of generous believers. And he wants to use us. So here's what I'm going to do. Before we continue on with our service at all of our campuses, I'm going to pray for us. And as the lead pastor of this church, I felt so strongly that this weekend I am supposed to pray for a spirit of generosity to fall on the men of our church first and then the families of our church. So listen, this is crazy, but here's what I want to do. Right where you're seated right now, if you want a spirit of generosity to fall on you and your house and your family, I'm going to ask you right where you're seated. We're not going to do anything spooky because you're weird. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you right where you're seated to just lift your hands. Open your hands in front of you like this. Just open your hands before God. As a, as a symbol of receptivity, if you want a spirit of generosity to come on you, I'm going to pray that a spirit of generosity would fill your house. Men, that would fill your hands, would fill your head, that would fill your heart. Just open your hands right where you're at, whatever service you're in. Thank God for the 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 power of technology, huh? Come on, hallelujah. Just get ready to receive it. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for a spirit of generosity to fill this house. I pray for the hundreds of men, the thousands even, of men who are listening to me right now with open hands saying, God, we want to be like Barnabas. We want to be a son of encouragement. We want to be a son of thunder. We want our influence and our impact to have a ripple effect through our life, through our family, through our children, through our jobs, through our hobbies, through generations. And Jesus, I pray that a spirit of generosity would come. I pray that a spirit of fear would be, would be gone off of men who have been afraid to tithe, who have been afraid to put you first financially. I pray that a spirit of heaviness and discouragement would be lifted off. God, some of us have seen our finances and money as a necessary evil all our life, and we've been raised that way, and we've been brought up that way, and and we've always kind of seen money. Okay, it is not a negative. It's not a necessary evil. It It is a tool that you, Lord, want to use and put in our life to flow through us and not just stop and flow to us. And so God, I pray that there would be a paradigm shift over our people. Lord, I pray for the families of our church. God, I pray for teenagers who are working their first job, that they would embrace this tithing thing and that for the rest of their life, their whole life, they'd be able to honor you with the tithe. And so God, I pray that a spirit of supernatural generosity would come over this house. I pray that right now, this weekend, you're going to speak to people that they're supposed to sell cars and sell land or whatever. I don't know God, you speak to them. I just want to be faithful to deliver this word. And so, Father, I pray the spirit of generosity over this house. Because, Lord, we look at what's at stake. God, like Barnabas, we are aware that we are sitting inside of a move of God in Southwest Florida. And, Jesus, you're going to use each one of us by embracing a spirit of generosity 
to get behind this thing and open doors of opportunity for the gospel to expand and spread across Southwest Florida, across the state of Florida, across our nation, and to the four corners of the earth. You're going to use us to do that. And so, Jesus, I thank you that there's a spirit of generosity that's come on this house and on the houses, the families, the cars. God, you can make tires last longer. You can make cars run longer. God, you can multiply and bless like we have no idea or it's impossible for us to do. And God, I pray that over you. I pray promotions and bonuses and commission checks. God, in raises. God, I just pray all that, Lord. And not in a weird way, just in a we're going to honor you. You're our financial partner and you want to flow through us, not just to us. And so we say yes. God, we'll be obedient. Let us be your conduit that we might see souls, thousands and thousands and thousands of lives saved and changed through this church like you did in the early church in the days ahead. Lord, we believe it's possible in the days ahead. I pray these things and we all pray these things together. In Jesus' name and everybody at every service at every campus who agreed said,